What's going on, guys? Welcome back inside another episode of Big Easy in the Big Apple. It's your host, Chris Rosvoglu. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Rosvoglu Report and on Instagram at the same handle. Now, for this episode, it's going to be a little bit different because this week I had the privilege of talking to former Saints right tackle, Saints captain, and 2009 Super Bowl champ Zach Streif to talk about his post-football life, um, covering the Saints, and how you know what's the difference between being a reporter slash broadcaster compared to actually being on the team. Uh, He gives us in-depth analysis on how Drew Brees goes about his business and, you know, what tactics Sean Payton uses to get his guys fired up on Sunday. He also talked about Ryan Ranchek and a couple of other cool things and give his prediction for the Saints and where they go as the season continues to roll on. And you can hear all that shortly. And also, I'm going to give my preview of Saints Jaguars, uh, break down the matchups, what's going to affect this game, what's going to be the key to victory for the Saints, which is also something that Zach Streif spoke about during the interview, and I will give my prediction for that one as always. We're going to give a quick NFC South outlook for week six in the NFL season, um, and then a quick update on Drew Brees' injury recovery timeline because there's some big news today that came out about number nine. But before we get to the Saints-Jaguars prediction and preview and all that good stuff, Here's the interview I had with Zach Streep this week. First off, Zach, how's your uh, post-football career treating you, and how have you handled that chapter of your life? Uh, you know, I think it's it's gone a, a very different path than maybe I would have thought it was going to, you know, five years ago. Um, I think when you're playing, uh, you know, you, you kind of think about it, and you, you don't know how serious you take it. As I got a little bit later in my career, I started realizing that uh, – uh, I was going to need to find something pretty soon. I knew I was almost done and uh, ended up uh, opening a brewery uh, with a couple of friends of mine. Uh, we opened actually uh, in May before my final season. Um, and so that, that was kind of my post-career plan was to kind of operate the brewery. And, and uh, after I retired, some meetings with um, a couple of media sources in New Orleans and just kind of talk, just finding out what was available, what was out there and maybe some opportunities that existed. And one of those meetings uh, was with WWL, which is the local uh, Saint affiliate. You know, they told me, they said, Hey, we'd love to have you here, but you know, this business a lot of times is what's available. And, you know, the only thing we're trying to fill right now uh, is Jim Henderson's job. Jim Henderson was the voice of the Saints for the 32 seasons, all the seasons that I played. And they said, you know, but that's not really a, uh, you know, a player job. That's a broadcasting role. And I said, okay, I understand that. Um, I went back to him and said, that's, that's the thing that I really would love to have the opportunity to do. And I was fortunate enough that they even uh, humored me on it. And so uh, before I knew it, I was named the voice of the Saints. And uh, so I've got that job going now. So, so I went from being afraid I wasn't going to have enough to do to I have too much to do. Um, but both of them are a lot of fun. And I would say you know, life after football so far has treated me pretty well. 
What's been the biggest difference between playing for the Saints and covering the Saints? I know there's probably a bunch. What would you say is the biggest one right there? Well, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of an awkward situation, I think, certainly, uh, in that, you know, in order to cover them effectively, you know, there's times where you need to be critical. And, um, you know, that wasn't necessarily my public role with the Saints when I played. Now, behind closed doors, uh, as a captain, I was very willing to be critical when that was needed to happen. But certainly publicly, that was never really the case. Um, you know, so it, it's a little bit different. And yet, you know, I, I consider my relationship with the Saints organization, you know, one of the most valuable. And so, you know, I really see myself, uh, even though, you know, technically this is a media job, but, you know, I think that the role itself is really attached to the organization. And so um, I really do try to find positives. Um, I think it's the right way to go about, you know, the job. I think there's plenty of people that are pointing out all everybody's uh, uh, deficiencies, um, trying to find ways to kind of give a different uh, mindset or a different perspective to fans. Um, you know, as, as you go through any, any season or situation and all the things that come up um, of kind of how we would have viewed it within the building, and, um, you know, I think that, that sometimes just that unique perspective of having been not only with the Saints, but with that staff and with all, a lot of those players uh, kind of gives me a little bit of a, of a unique way to present it to fans. When you retired, you had one of the best speeches I can remember, and you were talking about how important Drew Brees meant to your career and, and what he was for you. Um, out of this generation, and we've seen a lot of good quarterbacks, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here, but where do you think Drew ranks among all those quarterbacks? Well, I guess, you know, the thing that's hard is, you know, what, what is the criteria in ranking any quarterback, you know? And, and so if it's, you know, who's the best quarterback, if that is, if that's the question, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a really hard and kind of objective, you know, question to be asked. Now, in terms of production, I think there's almost no question Drew Brees has been the most productive quarterback in the history of football. If it's Super Bowls, then you can't possibly argue uh, anybody but Tom Brady. And so, you know, I, I, this is what I think about Drew Brees. I think Drew Brees um, has meant more to this organization than any quarterback in my generation, um, maybe short of Peyton Manning in Indianapolis. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, not to take anything away from any of those guys, they're all, you know, incredible players, all certainly a lot better than I ever was. But um, I think that Drew Brees essentially has been the Saints you know, for the past 13 years. And so, um, you know, I, I see him as one of the top three, four, five, uh, if you're talking the history of football. Um, but for me and my perspective, a lot of that comes from pure, um, you know, production, which in, in its own way is an unfair way, you know, to analyze quarterbacks because 20 years ago the rules were different. So, you know, I, this is what I know about Drew Brees. He works as hard as anybody ever could. He's as focused as anybody could be. He's as driven, um, and he's as good of a leader and person that I've ever been around. I can't imagine any of those guys being better leaders or, or people than Drew Brees are. Now, obviously, Drew is out right now with that thumb injury. When he comes back, and that should be fairly soon, do you think it's going to take him a little bit to get going, or do you think once he's back in the flow of it, he's going to you know be clicking and this offense will be fine? No, I don't. I don't think it's going to take him time to get back into the flow. But I think he's got more than enough reps under his belt. Um, I think there's going to be uh, a pretty, uh, 
it's going to be a big jolt for this team, even with as well as, as they've performed without him. There's no question to see what the defense has done without him and his absence. And there's no question getting Drew back is going to be a big uh, shot in the arm for this team. Shifting gears to your former head coach, Sean Payton, he's got a lot of interesting tactics to get his guys motivated on Sunday. Was there one that stood out to you during your career? Um, you know, the, probably my favorite one was the, the gas can uh, trick, which was, I want to say, probably 2016. Might have been earlier than that, actually. Let's call it 2013, because I think we're on a playoff run. And we come into the locker room, and everybody, there's, or, you know, a third of the lockers have a gas can in it. Um, and nobody knows why that's there, what that's for. And we get into the team meeting and, you know, essentially Sean said, you know, hey, you guys are all old. Do you have enough gas in the tank, you know, to, to, to make it to the end of the season, to play at a high level throughout the season? And, you know, as much as that's kind of a little bit tongue-in-cheek, there's also a part of you as a player that's like, damn, I can't believe you just called me out in front of everybody, you know. And, and I think most professional athletes have a, have a certain amount of, of pride um, that they play with, and and I think that that kind of activated that in a lot of guys. And, you know, I, I just think ultimately what he's good at is understanding what needs to be said and done to motivate his guys. I think he's got a really good pulse on his team at all times, and um, I think he just knows the right buttons to push. I think it's probably his greatest asset as a head coach is just being able to read his team and understand what they need in a given moment. And, you know, there's been a lot of little ploys like that that he's done over the years, but certainly stuck out, I think, because it was effective for me. Now, what he's done to the first five games has been remarkable. They're 4-1 under Teddy Bridgewater. Um, what do you make of how Teddy's playing, and have they changed anything schematically that maybe the casual fan would have noticed? But, of course, you being with the Saints for over a decade would. Well, yeah, first of all, I think it's, you know, a pretty impressive stretch of coaching by, by Sean Payton. And, you know, here's if, – if there's a change, this is what I would say. You know, the, the fact of the matter is is that Teddy Bridgewater hadn't played in a real game, you know, meaningful game since 2015. And that's a long time. I mean, you know, to say, hey, he's got experience. Yeah, he has experience, but his experience is so long ago that he's not really, you know, certainly not a, a body memory or, a, you know, a natural thing for him yet. And so one of the things that Sean did in the game plans, I think it was pretty evident, certainly took criticism for it, but there's no question it was the right thing to do, was, you know, to give him some easy, nice, hey, we're going to ease you back into this. We're going to let you dump the ball off. We're going to keep things down, you know, in front of you, some nice timing throws. We're, we're not going to involve – you know, nine different receivers like we would with Drew. You know, we're going to keep some guys so you can build a rapport. And what they essentially did was built his confidence over a couple of weeks. And, you know, I think that they understood that as much as they would love for Teddy Bridgewater to go in and throw for 400 yards the first game, it just wasn't a really – it wasn't a realistic expectation. And, um, and I think, you know, you're kind of seeing now what it does for a player to come in and have some success. You know, certainly winning those games has, has played a big part in it. And the way the defense has played and we've gotten contributions from the special teams and all of those things uh, have contributed. But I think they did a really good job of just getting him back into the game, getting him a feel for, you know, the, the for playing again. Because that's a long time to go without playing. And in between those, you know, the 2015 and 2019, you know, he had to completely rebuild an entire leg. So, 
uh, I think they've done a really good job with that, and I think that speaks to the um, kind of, I, I, I think, a different level of thinking that you get out of Sean Payton than you do out of some coaches. I want to transition over the offensive line since, obviously, Zach, that's your strong strength. You were one of the you know best offensive linemen for them for about a decade. You were on the team when they drafted Ryan Ramchick. What makes him such a special offensive tackle, and how good do you think he can become? Well, I, you, we saw right away when he came in, uh, and I, I give a lot of credit to, to Wisconsin. They do such a good job of teaching linemen there. They, they just come in prepared. They have such a good base uh, of fundamentals and you know when when ryan came in it was like man he's like he's been here for three years already and he just did things the right way to begin with and then the other thing that i think has really made him his his uh development really accelerate is ryan has a really um unusual ability to transfer spoken word into physical action and and what I mean by that is a lot of guys really struggle. If you tell them, hey, you know, you're dropping your kick leg, you know, about six inches too deep, you need to keep it a little bit wider. It takes them a really long time to develop a feel for what that actually is physically. Ryan Ramchick can literally be told something and do it physically immediately. It's really fascinating. And I think because of that, you know, he takes good reps in the right with with the right fundamentals and the right techniques quicker than most players do, and it just gives you it just develops you at a much faster pace than what most guys do. And so, you know, he he takes coaching incredibly well as well as anybody that I've ever seen. And you put on top of that that he basically you know started at a higher level than most people because of the program that they have uh, at Wisconsin. So. Um, I, I think the sky's the limit. I, mean, I already think he's the best right tackle in football, and I, I don't know even who the argument is against that. Um, but I think that that Ryan, in terms of being a complete offensive lineman, could very well end his career as you know as one of, if not the best, offensive lineman in football. This weekend, the Saints play the Jaguars. Uh, do you have an early key to victory for that game? Well, listen, you talk about a team that was built with kind of a physical nature and wants to go out and kind of ground and pound that got ran all over by, by you know, Carolina last week. And I know Doug Broder, well, he's my offensive line coach. When I got to New Orleans, um, we've kept in touch over the years. And, and obviously a lot of people understand Tom Coughlin and kind of his mindset. I think that team is going to be ready to to play a very, very physical football game. So I think early on, the Saints have got to match that intensity. And I think that's going to be a little bit tougher than, than maybe even they think right now. Uh, they're going to have to go on the road, play a team like the Jaguars, who you know are not necessarily a uh, perennial powerhouse uh, in a new game, 90 degrees, and they've got to match that level of intensity because I don't think that Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin will let that team walk into the stadium and have a repeat performance of that. And I think they'll be willing to do whatever it takes um, to keep you know the, the Saints from creating that type of a ground game. So um, I just think matching their intensity early. The, the Saints are, are, are more talented than the Jaguars are. I, I think that the, the Saints defensive line is playing as, as well as any defensive line in football. 
Um, and I have a lot of faith in the defense going in there, certainly against, uh, you know, a young quarterback. He's been successful so far, but, you know, it's still very young in his career in Garner Minshew. So uh, I, I think matching that intensity early on, matching that physicality uh, will be the difference in the game. Last question for you, Zach. In 2009, you were on the team that won the Super Bowl. Fast forward 10 seasons later, the Super Bowl is going to be back in Miami. I know it's tough to make a prediction this early in the season, but do you think when it's all said and done, this Saints team is going to be hoisting the Lombardi Trophy? You know, when when Drew got hurt, I remember uh, leaving that game in L.A., and I was talking to Keith McAllister, who, who calls the games with me in the booth, a former teammate of mine, and you know, obviously everybody in that building, that, that any Saints fan in that building that day was really bummed at that point. And we were walking and, and saying, well, you know, it's good. They got Teddy Bridgewater. That's the guy that they wanted to have behind him. You know, the thing that we kept going back to was just imagine if this team found a way to go, you know, five and one or four and two and, you know, and, and, and really, you know, keep everything together and on time. And then they get Drew back, learning to, to win without him and then getting back. And it would be, you know, they'd be so hard to beat. That's exactly what they've done. They're 3-0. They look as good as any team in football. I mean, most, you know, power rankings have them at number two right now, and I think they deserve it. I don't see who in the NFC can stop them. They certainly can beat any team in the NFC, certainly with Drew coming back. Um, and you kind of watch, you know, it's hard to judge the Patriots right now. They haven't played anybody yet. Um, and, and you watch the, the Kansas City Chiefs just get physically dominated by the Colts. I think everybody is available there to, to be beaten, and um, I think the Saints are as good as any team in football. So I'd love to say, yes, they're definitely going to win it, but I, I don't think that there's a team in the NFC right now that looks more dangerous of being that team than the Saints. Well, I hope that ends up uh, coming true, Zach. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Hope you enjoy calling the game this weekend and the Saints end up winning the Super Bowl. All right, man. Thanks, buddy. Once again, that was former Saints right tackle and Super Bowl champ Zach Streep. And he had a lot of good stuff to say and a lot of interesting stuff about how Sean Payton gets his guys going, what separates Drew Brees from other quarterbacks, where Drew Brees ranks, all time, which I'm sure he said top three to five. I'm sure some of you Saints fans are probably thinking he's number one. But either way, some high praise from Zach Streep right there. And his key to victory for the Saints Jaguars, I agree. You're going to have to match the intensity of a team that is predicated on running the football and playing smash mouth defense. And I think that's going to be important for that game. And I'll talk about that a little bit when I preview the Saints Jaguars game and give my prediction for this week six matchup. And that's coming all up right after the break. What's going on, guys? Welcome back inside Big Easy in the Big Apple. Once again, your host, Chris Rizvogu. Now, we went over the interview with Zach Streif, gave a brief, very brief preview of this Saints-Jaguars game that I want to talk about. And before we talk about it, just remember, you can always support the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month, and you'll get cool perks like coming onto the show, suggesting topics, and also do breakdowns of the game. We can go X's and O's, break down the film, what went right, what went wrong for a certain player of your choosing. So all that good stuff comes with that. But anyway, guys, let's talk about Saints-Jaguars here and what's going to be important in this matchup. And before we get into players and which one-on-one matchups are going to be important, I just want to talk about the Jaguars in general, what they do so well. For starters, the Jaguars are relentless on that D-line. Now, 
they just gave up a bunch of rushing yards to Christian McCaffrey. And when I mean a bunch, I mean a buck 76 and two touchdowns on just 19 carries. So that's 9.3 yards per carry for McCaffrey, which is insane. But McCaffrey's also in the MVP race right now. We have to remember that. That said, the Jaguars' D-line is still good at getting sacks. They had three sacks on the Panthers on Sunday. They had, I believe, nine on that Thursday night football game when they beat um, Tennessee. Even Denver, their their defense was able to do enough against Joe Flacco and that offense. Not that it's a stellar offense, but enough to get after him. And they've been doing this without Jalen Ramsey. Now, as of today, and remember, I'm recording this Wednesday night, so episode comes out Thursday morning, which means status still hasn't changed. Jalen Ramsey was limited in practice. I'm willing to say if he's limited throughout the week, he will play. Um, but we'll see. Things change. Maybe the Jaguars find a deal for him, or say, you know what, let's not trade him till after the, uh, let's not play him till after the deadline, and we know that he's definitely going to be committed to this roster. Um, and and that's you know all good and gravy for the Saints if that's what happens. But I think as of now, he'll play, and that changes the whole dynamic because Ramsey's going to follow Michael Thomas. Let's not kid ourselves. That's going to be the go-to matchup to talk about, and I'll discuss it in a couple of minutes. But this Jaguars defense, even if Ramsey isn't on the field, is going to get after the quarterback. It's what they do. So that's going to be important to watch. On the flip side, it's going to be important for the defense to make sure they contain Gardner Minshew. Now, Gardner Minshew, I'm not talking about a guy who's going to run out of the pocket like Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray or, you know, even Dak Prescott. But what Gardner Minshew does extraordinarily well, and he's done it for the last couple of weeks now, so when it keeps happening, it's no longer a fluke. It's just it's part of his game. He has that magic to him where he can move around the pocket but always keep his eyes downfield and he'll make a play. He'll make a couple of pass rushers miss and fire it down for a touchdown to DJ Chark, which he's actually done, I believe, back-to-back weeks now. Um, You could just ask Denver's defense, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb were getting absolutely fooled by Minshew in the pocket. So that's something the Saints are going going to have to do. And looking at the tape of Jaguars-Panthers, there's a lot of ways you can expose that Jaguars offensive line but then you got to hit home. You can get through that first uh, level of defense, but can you get Gardner Minshew down? That's going to be the question, and that's going to be really important for the Saints because the longer you give Minshew to move around, the more likely a guy like DJ Chark with his blazing speed or D.D. Westbrook, they're going to get down the field. It's possible. Or even Marquise Lee, a speedster from USC. So those are guys that they're not the best wide receivers in the world. Now, DJ Chark is having a breakout season, so I, I think he deserves that title. But Westbrook is a solid receiver. Uh, Marquise Lee, another solid receiver. They're not bad at all. They're all very good role players. But what makes them special is if you give Minshew enough time in the pocket to extend plays. So the Saints are going to bring, if you bring him down, your chances of winning, obviously, and, you know, stating the obvious and the fact that you're sacking the opposing quarterback go up exponentially. But it's going to be important. Now, Let's go down to player on player what's going to really decide this game. And I talked about it before. Michael Thomas versus Jalen Ramsey. And if it's not Jalen Ramsey, it's going to be A.J. Boye. Either way, two good corners. And either, you know, regardless of how good they are, I still don't know if it's going to be enough to shut down Michael Thomas. Now, Jalen Ramsey, that's a whole different ball game because Ramsey's one of the top five corners in the league. I think Stephon Gilmore is the best corner in football right now. But Jalen Ramsey obviously can stake his claim as one of the best in the NFL. Ramsey versus Michael Thomas would be a show. You got a physical wide receiver matched up against a physical corner. Um, you got one corner playing his first game in like what three or four weeks, and then you have Michael Thomas who's coming off one of the best game of his career, one of the best games of his career. Eleven receptions for 182 and two touchdowns. 
I think if it's Michael Thomas versus AJ Boye, he's going to have his way all game because although Boye is a very good corner, I don't know if his physicality level will match what number 13 does for the Saints. He's arguably the most physical player in the NFL. He's going to beat you at the point of attack. His release has been you know, fantastic the past couple of weeks. Um, and I really think he's hitting his stride now as we enter week six. Ramsey can slow down Michael Thomas. Now, I think Michael Thomas will still have his way on slants and intermediate routes, but Ramsey would avoid those over-the-top plays that Tampa Bay gave up to Michael Thomas um, in week five. So that's something to look out for right there. Another key factor is going to be the defensive tackles of the Saints, most, most importantly, Rankins, Onyemata, and Malcolm Brown versus Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette's been the unsung hero for the Jaguars. Now, I know it's crazy to think that a guy who's a, a you know top five pick is an unsung hero for a team, but he is because while everyone's been raving about Gardner Minshew and DJ Chark and the D-line of the Jaguars, and all three have been you know great for them so far, Leonard Fournette's been rushing for over 100 yards constantly, and the one thing the Saints do well is they don't give up 100-yard rushers. Might give up a total of 100 yards rushing per game because you got to watch out for Leonard Fournette and you got to watch out for Minshew, who actually last week had seven carries for 42 yards. So he can move out there too. But if the Saints can stop Fournette, that really changes the offense. What's really helped out Minshew, and I don't want to take anything away from him because as of right now, he's my pick for Offensive Rookie of the Year. What he's had the luxury of is a good running game to rely on. That opens up everything. That opens up the play action. That keeps the you know the box stacked so he could take his shots over the top. Um, I, I think DJ Chark's a really good wide receiver, but DJ Chark for him to go from you know a role player year one to getting 164 receiving yards against the Panthers in year two, that's a really big jump. And that also shows how good Fournette's been. That Chark and those other boys like Westbrook have a chance to go over the top of defense because there's no safeties there to stop them. So the Saints can stop Leonard Fournette without stacking the box. It really does bode well for their chances of coming out with a fourth straight win. And I think that's probably going to be the most important thing of the game because Minshew's going to have his moments where he makes magic, but he's also going to have his moments where he's a rookie quarterback and he makes a mistake. The Saints offense, I'll talk about them in a little bit, they're going to have moments where they slow down and they don't look as good as they did on Sunday because you have to remember, Tampa Bay's secondary is not a good secondary. This Jacksonville secondary and this Jacksonville defense in general is a better unit. So that's going to be important. Um, so I think if you stop the run, you're really going to open yourself up for a great possibility. And what the Saints have the luxury of that other teams don't is they're so deep at defensive line. They might not be the best defensive line unit in terms of star power, but if you're talking strictly from depth, it's hard to beat them. And remember, Trey Hendrickson was limited in practice on Wednesday. There's a good chance he plays on Sunday, which means you'd have Hendrickson, Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport, Malcolm Brown, Sheldon Rankins, David Onyemata, and Carl Granderson. You're throwing seven D linemen that are all capable players in their own right against Leonard Fournette, and that means your linebackers will hit home. You got Davis, you got AJ Klein, you got Kiko Alonso to do the job. You don't have to worry about your secondary coming in to the box to stop Fournette. So that's why I think that's very important for this one. Now, let's move over to the other side of the ball. What's going to be important for the Saints? I think, honestly, you have to have a big game from Alvin Kamara. And the way you do it is use him the way the Panthers have used Christian McCaffrey. There were a lot of plays on last Sunday where the, the Jaguars let Miles Jack go straight up against Christian McCaffrey. And I think Miles Jack is a good athlete. Um, I, I think he's a really talented linebacker. 
but in no way, shape, or form should he have a chance of covering Christian McCaffrey, which also means he won't have a chance of covering Alvin Kamara. And although Alvin Kamara didn't have his best game last Sunday, he got the yardage when it mattered most. This is the game, though, where the Saints are going to need a 100-plus yard game from him. I think you're looking at 150 scrimmage yards from Alvin Kamara. I've said it twice before, and I've been right the other two times, so hopefully that streak continues. Um, But I think he really can get after that defense. The one thing that the Jaguars aren't great at, their safeties aren't, you know, world-beater safeties, and their linebacker linebackers aren't that good. I mean, Miles Jack's solid, in my opinion. Um, but when they lost Smith to retirement, that really took a big hit for the linebacking corps. So I think Alvin Kamara's going to have an advantage there. Now, let's move over to the offensive line. That's the important part right there. You got Josh Allen, who's a heck of a rookie. You know what they have in Calais Campbell. You know what they have in Marcel Darius. I mean, they have a bunch of guys they'll throw at you on the D-line. The key for Teddy is doing what he did last week. Pull the trigger when you can. Get the ball out quick. Hit it to your playmakers. He hit Michael Thomas 11 times. He hit Kamara, I believe, like six times or so. Jared Cook had four receptions. Get it out quick. Get it to your guys in space. Let them make the plays. Don't take too much time in the pocket because eventually, against a really good D-line, it's going to catch up. And I know the Saints' offensive line shut down Shaq Barrett and Adamic and Sue on Sunday, I think in Jacksonville, in that heat, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, So I think you're going to have to get the ball out quick if you're Teddy Bridgewater. And I think he'll be able to. The one thing he's done, and I always give him his props for, and unlike some fans, I've been very... um, I've given credit for him. I haven't been hard on uh, Teddy at all. I think what he does best is, at the very least, you know he's going to hit the check down. At the very least. So just keep the chain moving. Keep the yards going and just keep the offense from going backwards. Like we said, offensive holding's been an issue and sacks haven't, obviously, but offensive holding's almost as bad as a sack at that point, depending on what the yard uh, end down is in that situation. But just keep it with the offense, keep it with that theme. Another important thing for me is wearing down this Jaguars defense. It's hard to do because this is a Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone built team. Zach Streif talked about it before. I'm just going to reiterate what he said. They're built off being an intense physical football team that kind of plays an 80s style of brand. And they're going to be tough to take down. But I watched two weeks ago a Denver Broncos team that ran the ball hard with Lindsey, got down the field with Joe Flacco. And let's be real, this offense is way better than what the Broncos have. So if the Broncos were able to slowly wear down that Jaguars attack, there's no excuse why the Saints can't do the same thing. And I really do believe if they ride Kamara, if they let Latavius Murray get another seven to nine carries, they're going to be fine. Just continue to wear them down. And you don't need 30 points to beat the Jaguars. It's not the Blake Bortles Jaguars where you just need 20, but you're, you know, I think 24 to 27 range is more than enough for the Saints to win this game in Jacksonville. Now, before I give my prediction, I just want to debunk this theory that this Jacksonville game is a trap game. Um, I saw a lot of people talking about it. I know it came from an article. Um, I, I might have been big, big easy believer, and I know a lot of people bashed it. Here's my two thoughts on that. For one, to bash it, you have to understand the whole point of that article is to get people talking about it. So while you can complain about what happened, that person did their job because everyone on, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday, was saying, oh, it's not a trap game. How can you say that? Now, the reality is it's not a trap game, and when you're playing with a backup quarterback, you can't even have the time or excuse 
to say, oh, this is a trap game because every game is important for the Saints right now without Drew Brees, and they know that. Um, and I talked about it, I believe, last week that when he went down, it's almost like the team got slapped in the face and said, okay, we got to get going because Drew's not going to be here to bail us out when we're playing bad. There's no... When you're playing a Jaguars team that before this Carolina Panthers loss was pretty hot and you're only 4-1 and one, and it's still early in the season and Teddy Bridgewater's fighting to get a chance to either be the Saints heir apparent to Drew Brees or be a starting quarterback in the NFL next year, there's a lot at stake for everyone. There's a lot at stake for the defense, a lot at stake for the offense. Guys like Kamara who are going to get paid. Guys like Ramchek who are going to get paid. Marshawn Lattimore wants to keep getting paid. Well, if he keeps playing the way he has, he'll get that money. So... I don't think at all this game's a trap game. You want to say this game was like week 14 and the Saints were like, you know, let's say eight and three, uh, you know, eight and four, or, you know, nine and three. Let's say nine and three and it's like week 14. All right, fine, whatever. That's fine. Uh, I guess I can agree with that notion. But at four and one this early in the season against a good Jaguars football team, there's no such thing as a trap game. They're going to be ready um, to play on Sunday. It's going to be a matter of can they get after those key players that I, I noted down, like, can you stop Minshew? Can you at least contain the running game with Leonard Fournette? And lastly, and probably my most important matchup of the game, DJ Chark versus Marshawn Lattimore. Now, Saints fans know all about DJ Chark. They watched him ball out at LSU. Uh, they wanted the Saints to actually draft him, but, you know, they say that about every LSU player. Chark has quickly turned into one of the best stories in the NFL. I would give him my vote for my vote for most improved player of the year. He's already got 27 catches for 485 yards and five touchdowns. All three of those categories that I mentioned top what he did all of last season. And he had a good game with Nick Foles and everyone was like, you know what? That's his guy. But then you realize a lot of his production came when Minshew stepped in as well. And Minshew's really hit him for a lot of targets in the games with Gardner at quarterback He's had, at the minimum, four receptions. Here's the numbers. Seven receptions, four receptions, four receptions, eight receptions. So if we're going to be honest right there, I think that brings us to an average of 23, which is about six catches a game for Gardner Minshew, uh, for uh, DJ Chark with Gardner Minshew as his quarterback. And he's a speedster. We know what he did in the 40. We know what he's been able to do. But what's impressed me most is what he's doing in the red zone. That's something that he wasn't thought of as coming out of college, he wasn't this red zone receiving threat, but he's become that for Jacksonville. And he's got, you know, ideal size. Um, and you know what we have in the speed. You know what you have in the size at 6'4". This is a good test for Marshawn Lattimore. And this will also either validate or debunk this theory that Marshawn Lattimore doesn't play well when he's not facing a big name. DJ Chark might not be a big name yet, but he's a big-time receiver this season. And he's not the household names that Amari Cooper and Mike Evans are. But you have to hope that Lattimore knows what DJ Chark's been doing the last couple of weeks and saying, I got to stop him. And if he does, that's another win for the Saints because Chark's been that offense along with Fournette and Minshew. And a lot of the big moments that Jacksonville's had have come from DJ Chark down the field, whether it's a touchdown or him just getting a big play. Um, even when the Jaguars were going down the field trying to tie that game against Carolina on Sunday, he was coming up big. And I know they got stopped at the end, but almost every catch for the Jaguars on that final drive went to DJ Chark. So it's important that Marshawn Lattimore slows him down. Now, before I end up this end this episode, excuse me, of Big Easy and the Big App, I want to give my prediction real quick on what I think is going to go down in this Jaguars Saints game. 
Look, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to come down to the wire. I've said for a while most of these Saints games are going to be close. And that, and the reality is when you have two competitive, good football teams, ones that aren't tanking, it's mostly a one-possession game until someone breaks away. And I think that's going to probably be the case throughout. Um, but the reason I'm siding with the Saints are for two reasons. Not only do I think this defense is going to step up and they're going to continue to show that they're one of the better units in the league and they're going to keep getting better. I, I We... Talked about how last year took a while for them to go, go, get going. After that Rams game, they got it going. So I think that defense can be able to hold the Jaguars to about 17 to 20 points. And it just comes down to how many plays is the offense going to make with Teddy Bridgewater. I think they're going to do just enough. Remember, this is in Florida. Teddy's a Florida native. Family's going to be there for that game. This is his homecoming. And another chance to prove that he's a start in this league. I think Teddy's already proven it, that he deserves to start for one of the 32 teams, hopefully the Saints, after Drew Brees' time is up. But this is another opportunity, and I think he's going to have that chance to shine in front of his friends and family in Florida. I think he's going to do just enough. I say Teddy goes for about 230 or 240 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and Alvin Kamara helps him out with a rushing touchdown. I'm going to say the Saints win 24-20, to in Jacksonville, I think it's going to be a really fun game. But ultimately, I think the Saints are going to end up winning four straight, improve to five and one, and that should help them uh, as they continue to push for that NFC South crown. Now, right before I end this episode, just to let you guys know, Drew Brees, there's a report about him trying to push back for week eight against Arizona. Saints want him after the bye. Now, I think it's all you know dependent on how they do in the next three games, but let's say the Saints go two and one. Uh, well, let's say the Saints just go at least 1-1 one and one in the next two games. They're probably going to let Teddy ride out and play that Arizona game. He should be able to beat them. Uh, but that's going to be something worth monitoring. And actually, I want you guys, if you get to this point and you're listening, let me know who you think should start if, let's say, Drew Brees is ready. Do you want him starting for Week 8? Or do you want them waiting until after the bye week? I think that's going to be an interesting decision the Saints are going to have to make. But by no means does it mean there's a controversy. They know what they have in Drew. They know what they have in Teddy. And it's a good situation for the Saints. But anyway, guys... Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I hope you guys enjoyed the prediction and the preview. If you want more interviews in the future, let me know, and I'll continue to push for those um, and try and get current and former Saints players on the podcast. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Enjoy the upcoming Saints game. Have a great day and an even better tomorrow.